This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. As described in 1 Peter 3.20, 1 Peter 3.20 says, Once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Those were the days of Noah. Those were the days of Noah, days when no one paid attention to God's warning of coming judgment. And this is what Christ said would be the sign before he returned. No one paying attention. Preachers can preach their heart out about hellfire and brimstone, and it just becomes entertainment. No one does what little seven-year-old Cassidy did last week and comes up and saying, I don't want to go to hell. And so she puts her faith in Christ to save her from her sins. Jonathan Edwards, very interesting life. In 1741, in 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Mostly, he had that whole sermon read out, and mostly he just read it with really out any passion in his sermon. But that sermon was so powerful, the words were so powerful that people literally grabbed the pillars in the church thinking that the ground was gonna open up and swallow them down into hell. That sermon, impassionately read by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hand of Angry God, started what's called the Great Awakening in America. And it swept across our land and many put their trust in Christ. But today, not anymore. There's no fear sweeping across our land of sinners falling into the hands of an angry God. No one's grabbing any church pillars today, fearing the ground's gonna open up and swallow them into hell. And this is what Christ is referring to when he says this sign in this Matthew verse 37, verse 37, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In those days before the flood, he says they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. He says the days of Noah came down to one day when the limit was over. But the word that Christ used for eating here when he said they were eating and drinking, there's the, it's a Greek word that means they were gnawing on food like an animal, like a, like a lion. It's very much a picture like in Belshazzar's feast in uh, Daniel 5. In Daniel 5, it says, Belshazzar made a great feast for to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. And Belshazzar, while he was tasting the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. 
that the king and the princess, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and wood and stone. The same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote, and the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts were troubled, and his joints of his loins were loose, and his knees smote one against the other. He was eating. He was drinking himself drunk with wine in an act of defiance. In the middle of it, he says, bring those vessels out of the temple uh, that came out of the temple in Jerusalem so we can get drunk by drinking out of God's temple vessels. And that's when the hand came and wrote. And what the hand wrote was that you were weighed in the balances and you were found lacking. And that was the same night that he was murdered because the Medes and the Persians had breached the wall that very night. Now, Christ describes a scene in verse 40 when he says, then two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. So he's describing here a very agricultural scene, a field, and he's describing it with such a vividness here, here in this verse and the next verse, such a vividness, it's like he can see, he can see this, and he's telling them what they cannot see. He can see it, they cannot see it. It reminds me of a conversation I had with this last week with the rabbi in which he calls me and um, <laughs> on the phone, first thing he says, Tom, tell me you're finished with this Jesus stuff, he says. And if you really have something with your Jesus stuff, as he calls it, then, then I wanna know. But so far, you haven't told me one thing that convinces me. There's nothing, he tells me, you know. So I told him, I said, I'm describing to you something you cannot see. I said, I can see clearly that Jesus Christ is God, that he's a loving, merciful, and saving God. He wants to save from sin. I can see that, but you can't see that, and I'm trying to describe to you what you can't see. Now, this is the sense in what Christ is doing in these two verses of verse 40 and 41. He's describing something that the disciples can't see, but he sees it vividly. It's like it's happening right in front of him. He sees these two people in the field. He sees these two women at the mill. And so this first scene is of two people that he's seeing working in a field. They're working together. The word here is together, together. They're working together. They're talking together. They're eating together. They spend so much time together because usually their work goes from sunup to sundown. And when you look at these two that are working in the field, there's nothing outwardly that you could look at and say, oh, this one's different from the other. They look the same. Nothing outward. These two persons look the same outwardly, but they're as different as day and night, inwardly. But you can't tell, outwardly. Inwardly, one has trusted Christ as a savior, and the other one has not trusted in Christ as a savior. And now Christ describes a great suddenness, and he does this with the word taken in verse 40, verse 40, one shall be taken, taken, in the sense of just taken. You know, we have this problem right now in Tukati where the narcos are coming in there and looking for all the young girls and the girls are walking in on the street. This happened 16 attempts in the first two weeks of June, this police chief at Tukati said. 16 times, narcos will come in a van and they'll just take 
the girl off the street. No one will ever see her again. She goes off for trafficking, who knows where. It's the taken all of a sudden. And so this is not in the evil sense, of course, in verse 40, but this is the same kind of idea with this word taken. Suddenly, one is taken. And then the other word that Christ used is the word left. The other one is left, as in left behind. That was a very powerful title that uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins uh, chose for their series, Left Behind. No one likes to think of themselves as left behind, missing the bus, too late. But that's the picture here that Christ has painted in these two verses where one is taken and the other is left behind. Now, Christ has already in this chapter said how how this is gonna happen, how one's gonna be taken when he said in verse 31, in verse 31, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So in these two verses about the field and the mill, when it says one shall be taken, this is the work of angels. Angels do this. They are the ones who take the one and leave the other behind. And so the scene, the scene here in these two verses, 40 and 41, is such that the two that are working in the field, the two women that are grinding at the wheel, the mill there, they look absolutely the same outwardly. They're friends. They're as close as you can think of. uh, They're working together, eating together, sun up to sun down, very closely linked to each other. They're so closely linked to each other that when Christ describes this separation between them, the process process there separating them, he uses the word in Matthew 13, 49, Matthew 13, 49, so shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Sever, he says, sever. When we think of sever, we think of a blade severing. You cut up a chicken and you use the blade to sever the, the legs off between the joints and so forth, like carving. This is the word that describes this separation process. It might be between a man and a wife that it, where the severing takes place, where one is taken and the other is left. So when Christ returns, the angels will be sent out to do this severing process and gather those who inwardly are really followers of Christ. They've repented, they're saved from those who just have an outward show but no inward reality of salvation. And it will be the time when Christ makes good on his promise, which he said in John 14, 2, John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So it's going to be the angels that bring Christ's own to him so that he can receive them to himself, like a groom receives his bride when she's brought to him. It'll be the angels who do this. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Angels are doing this, angels. King David saw this clearly when he said that the time was coming when God was going to give a call to the angels in Psalm 50, verse five, Psalm 50, verse five. 
He shall call to the heavens from above, and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. When Christ returns, he's going to call to the angels this call in Psalm 50, verse five. Gather my saints together unto me. And then he might think he might also add to the angels, and don't you lose one of them. Because he said in John 18, nine, John 18, nine, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. And those angels will not lose any of them, when he gives that call in Psalm 50, verse five, and calls to them, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The covenant that he's referring to is the new covenant, the sacrifice that he's referring to is the sacrifice of Christ's blood, as he said in Luke 22, 20, Luke 22, 20. Likewise also is the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new testament or the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. That's the new covenant, it's in his blood. So what Christ will say to the angels in Psalm 50 verse five is in essence, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made the new covenant with me in my blood, which is my sacrifice shed for them. Angels play such a vital role in this severing and separating and bringing the saints to Christ, and they know they will. They know it now, and that's why when a sinner repents, and his name is really added to the Revelation 21, 27, Revelation 21, 27, Lamb's Book of Life, what the angels do when one is added is Luke 15, 7, Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, moreover 90 and nine just persons which need no repentance. And when one sinner repents, and turns to Christ, the angels rejoice, and they say to each other, there's another one that we're gonna gather up and sever out when Christ tells us, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Now, in verse 41, he continues painting. Christ the painter now paints another picture of this severing of two very close to each other, very close to each other, and the picture is now grinding at the mill in verse 41, verse 41. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. This is a scene of making flour, making flour from grain. Each house had these type of, um, of mills for making flour, which consisted of two round heavy stones, about two feet, 18 inches of two feet, in diameter, and the one stone was on top of the other stone, and the bottom stone didn't move. Sometimes it was cemented down in place, and there was a hole in the center of the top stone, and the lower stone was chiseled in such a way that it fit up a little bit into that convex, into that hole in the upper stone, and grain was then poured into this hole in the upper stone, and then on that upper stone, there were sticks attached around the circumference there, and that stone was pushed around. That upper stone was pushed around, and as it went around, it ground up the kernels of grain to make the flour, which would fall out on the edges. Making flour like that was the work of women, and it was hard work. It was hard work to push that upper stone around, so the two women, there was usually two women around this mill, and they would kind of uh, share the load 
of pushing the, the upper stone around. It's hard work. And this picture that Christ has described here in verse 41 is of these two women pushing the upper stone around. And then all of a sudden, one woman finds that she's alone. And she's pushing the stone by herself because her fellow worker has just been severed. And he's just, she's just disappeared. And again, Christ is painting this picture of a sudden separation between two people that looked the same, but they weren't. And Christ in another gospel has actually added another scene. He's the, Christ the painter has painted another scene for us of this severing separation in Luke 17, 34. Luke 17, 34. I tell you, in that night, there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. So here's a picture of two men sharing the same bed and all of a sudden the angel comes with that severing separation and one man is just taken out of the bed and the other is left in the bed alone. So what's the lesson of all these? All these paintings, all these pictures that Christ has given to us. What's the lesson? The lesson of the sudden taking and being left behind. The lesson is verse 42, verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord did come. Watch is what we're called to do in light of the coming suddenness of this severing separation that's gonna take place when Christ returns. Watch is a very important word, very important activity for followers of Christ. And God tells us in the Bible that there are four things that we are to maintain a very close watch on. The first thing that we are to watch carefully is in Jeremiah 7, 24, Jeremiah 7, 24. They hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. The first thing that we are to watch carefully for is what the Bible calls our evil heart, our evil heart. We have a traitor inside of us. That's shocking to say, but it's true. We have a traitor inside of us, and that traitor is our evil heart. Just as Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 apostles within the inner group of the apostles, we have a Judas Iscariot inside of us, and it's our heart that is wicked and that is evil. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our hearts are not just wicked. The Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked without hope wicked, and our hearts are deceitful above all things. And when a person thinks that he or another person has a good heart, he's a good-hearted person, he's deceived because no heart is good. Christ said in Mark 10, 18, Mark 10, 18, Jesus said unto him, there's none good but one, and that is God. So that's the first thing that we need to keep a very, very close, careful watch on, our evil hearts, our deceitful hearts, just because it feels good does not mean that it is good because God has given us a head and an understanding and a Bible to know what is good. And he wants us to use our head, use our understanding, use our Bible and keep a close watch on our hearts that God says in Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And that Hebrew word for diligence in Proverbs 4.23 is the word mishmar, mishmar, 
which is the same word that's used for a prison guard whose responsibility is to watch the prisoner. So the first thing we are to watch is our evil hearts. The second thing that we are to watch carefully is Mark 14.38, Mark 14.38. Watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So the second thing we carefully watch for is temptation. Like the hymn says, great hymn, I want a principle within of watchful godly fear, a sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. I want the first approach to feel of pride or wrong desire, to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. That's a great hymn. That hymn was written by Charles Wesley, and it's called I Want a Principle Within. It's in our hymnal, it's hymn number 568. It's a prayer that we should all pray for what he calls in the hymn a sensibility, a feeling for sin. He calls it a pain to feel it near. That's what it means to watch carefully for temptation. It means to feel a pain when temptation to sin is near, as the hymn says, of pride or wrong desire to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. That's what it means to watch carefully for temptation. It means to feel when pride comes, to feel when my will is wandering into sin and put out that kindling fire. Kindling fire is the start of a fire, which used kindling wood. So the second thing that we are to watch carefully for is temptation. The third thing we are to watch carefully for is James 1.27, James 1.27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to keep himself unspotted from the world. The third thing we are to watch carefully is the world and not let the world make us filthy, dirty inside. The world is very subtle. The world wants to change the way we think, to change the way we view things. We're told in Romans 12.1, Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when the Bible says in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, that means to watch, to not let the world squeeze our thinking into its mold of thinking. We want the Bible to squeeze our thinking into the Bible's mold of how we should think, like the Bible thinks, not like the world thinks. And we're to watch carefully the world because the world is a seducer. The world is trying to seduce us and we're to make sure that we don't end up falling in love with the world. It says in 1 John 2.15, 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So this is the third thing that we are to watch carefully for. The world does not influence our thinking away from how the Bible wants us to think, and that the world, we have to make sure the world's not successful in seducing us to love the world. 
Finally, the fourth thing that we are to watch carefully is our verse, verse 42, verse 42. Watch therefore, for you not know not what hour your Lord doth come. We're to get up every morning and think, I wonder if Christ will return today, and if he does, am I ready to meet him? No anchors of affection on me that's gonna cause me to be like Lot's wife and turn back. It's a good thing during the day to go outside and look up, look up, physically look up at the sky and say, soon he's gonna come. And that's called looking up and lifting up our heads when Christ talked about that in Luke 21, 28, Luke 21, 28. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.